Hello and welcome to In the Proper Time, the podcast that spurs you on to a deeper walk with Jesus. I'm your host, Heather, and today we're going to be talking about Yom Teruah, better known as the Feast of Trumpets. I have a guest speaker on today. His name is Gabriel, so let's dig right in. Okay, so talking about Yom Teruah, talking about what is also called by the Jews is Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. Um, which is kind of an interesting title um, because this is happening in the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month. Um, let's go ahead and go to the scriptures here and let's just read the passage initially given about Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets. Yom means day. Teruah is a word for trumpets, but it also means uh, a shouting. It's uh, in the Psalms, a shout for joy many times. Uh, my daughter's name is Teruah, and uh, we named her after the shout for joy in the Psalms. Um, so it can mean to yell, it can mean to have an, like an alarm for war, it can be a cry of victory, a shout of praise, but it is also the word for uh, blowing a trumpet, or actually the trumpet itself. It's related to this word here. So if we go to Leviticus, this is an easy one, 23, 23, so chapter 23, verse 23. It says, and this is in the passage, um, all of Leviticus 23 is going to be talking about the feast we just spoke of in the last episode here. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire, to Yahweh. Very simple. Not a lot, not a lot said about trumpets. And um, that's actually caused a great deal of Midrash about that. So Midrash is just a discussion, a commentary um, between the rabbis. As, as the rabbis were doing, um, doing study, they're, they're studying the Torah, they're trying to find out what it means. Um, and so there became a lot of conversation about what this is, because first of all, it's not much said about it. It's just, it's a memorial of blowing trumpets. It's a Sabbath. There's an offering made by fire to the Lord. Um, and then the question is, what are we remembering? You know, what's, what is it that, that we're remembering? So out of that grew a number of customs and traditions held in Judaism. And a lot of these things uh, that we're going to discuss today uh, were very likely held in the first century and maybe before Christ uh, in the, in the second temple period, that time of the Bible, that time between the Old and New Testament is when a lot of rabbinic traditions were were kind of formalized. They weren't really written down so much until after Christ, but a lot of them, a lot of the culture and customs of Second Temple Judaism, or what we kind of consider Judaism, were really, really crystallized at that time. So a lot of the customs that were going on then are things that Christ would have grown up with, the apostles would have grown up knowing, uh, kind of as a given. So in that to say, here are some of the ideas that, and again, the things that we're talking about here, the scripture itself does not say very much about the Feast of Trumpets. There's another place um, in Ezra and Nehemiah. They, when they come to rebuild the temple, they start the sacrifices even before the foundation stones laid, and they start them on the seventh, the first day of the seventh month. Um, in Nehemiah, you'll also find where they're reading the law of the Lord on this day, and they begin to repent. 
and weep of their sins because they realize how far fallen they have sh- how far short they have fallen and they become crushed by it they see as a nation how how far away their fathers have gone and how they've neglected the law um, and in the midst of them crying and weeping and and being very distraught uh, the leaders encourage them that this is a very important day though this is a day to rejoice and this is a day to this isn't a sad day the feast of trumpets is not a sad day even in even in a good thing where they're repenting um, they were saying well don't be discouraged Um, there'd be plenty of time for repenting and weeping and that's a good thing but today is a day where we're going to eat the fat drink the sweet we're going to rejoice before the lord and this is actually where we get the very famous passage uh, the joy of the lord is your strength what a comforting thing so when we think about Yom Teruah, we think about the joy of the Lord being our strength. That uh, this is a, a day of excited awakening blast. It's a it's a so there is a there is a tradition in Judaism, and it seems as though uh, the idea of trumpets being the day of the of the, the resurrection of the dead uh, follows in the line, in the minds of the apostles. At least the trumpet sounding certainly does. And we went through some of those passages earlier. The other thing is that this is traditionally um, the release of debts. The Shemitah year would end the day before. So the reason they call it the head of the year is because um, it wasn't the head of the of the year as far as when they started to count the calendar. So, you know, like we have, we have, uh, I guess, I'm not sure what they've changed it to now, but for a long time it was April 15th is tax day. Um, you know, we have other beginnings of years. Baseball season starts in the, the beginning of April. Um, we have the calendar year, right? We have different ways that we could say, well, there's a civil calendar, there's a religious calendar, there's a tax calendar. Um, and so this, this day marked um, what would be the releasing of debts. So in the Torah, it talks about how every seven years, um, if anyone owes you debt, at the end of seven years, they still owe you some debt. What you have to do is you release the debt. Um, and so this idea, if you listen to things Jonathan Kahn said over the last several years, this has become a more popular idea. It's called the Shemitah, which is a release. So in the year of release, this would be the day that you would say, well, all the uh, all the debts have to be in or released at this time. Um, and the last day, the 29th day of Elul, would be like the deadline. So when this happens... Uh, on the on the first day of the seventh month, uh, at this point, things are released. So we've got the year of release. Historically, that's how we understand Israel kept that law, was marking it with this day. In addition to that, there is another idea um, that is the anointing of a king. So when the kings of Israel would be, or the kings of Judah, would be christened, when they would be anointed, to sit on their throne. This is typically understood uh, to have traditionally happened on that day. I'm sure there were plenty of times where, you know, there's a lot of disaster and stuff through the king. So there was probably some times where they had to had to do it on a different day because of necessity. But traditionally, we understand that uh, what the oral tradition tells us about how Israel kept the law and how they walked this out was that this was the day that they anointed a king. And so when we look at the trumpet blast, 
the joy, the memorial, the great awakening blast, when we look at the release of debts, and when we look at, namely, the king. This is a very big deal when you're, if you're, if you're celebrating Yom Teruah or if you are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. There's a, there's a ton of, there's a ton of, ton of tradition, very rich and very nuanced, tons of ideas about each of these. And I know in a short podcast, we don't have much time to get into all that. And really that's not the purpose of it. What we want to say is we know a little bit of the background about these feasts. The king is coming. Uh, This is a day where we say the king is triumphant. The king is anointed. Um, We rejoice. We blow trumpets. We're shouting. We have this this great joy that the king has overcome, that he's conquered. Um, There is a release of debts. And now a new day is beginning. Um, There's also a tradition that the world was created on this day. Um, Don't, you know, again, that's not in the scriptures, but... um, That's what they say. Maybe the memorial, the rabbi said, well, maybe we're remembering God creating the world. Maybe we're remembering something like that. So who knows? But these are some of the ideas that they had. So now what we're going to talk about here, what I'd like to do is, like we said earlier, what are, we know that many of these things are speaking of things to come, like we said, but what we want to do is not just only look at what we have to hope in and anticipate in when Christ returns, which would be extremely wonderful. Um, but to get us to understand, you know, in my heart, the thing that keeps me, uh, waiting with expectation for the kingdom to come, that really fills my, fills my bottle up and it, it fills my batteries up spiritually is when I can look at how sure and how steadfast and how rock solid the things that we have, we have the earnest, we've got the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That down payment is part of the payment. It's the same substance as the payment. It's solid gold. Maybe I don't have every single thing I'll have. Obviously, when when the resurrection comes and the kingdom is in its full glory, but what I have is not what I have is not a, a written receipt. It's not an IOU. What I have in Christ now is a, it's not all of the gold, but it's exactly the same kind of gold. It's solid gold. You can take it to the bank, cash it in. Okay, so here's what here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Luke 4, 18. Actually, we're going to start... So this is just after Jesus is tempted. We're actually going to start in chapter 4, verse 14. So I'm going to read a few verses down here. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon them. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So then they get kind of upset at him. They're they're marveling at him. And, 
and he starts to talk to them about how, uh, well, we could go on. But the thing I want to point out here is, look at the themes there. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind with the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So this is making us think about, gosh, there's some themes here. He's anointed me like, like the anointed king. He sent me to preach liberty to the captives. That sounds like the Shemitah year. He's, he sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So that Shemitah year, that year of release, that doesn't happen every year. only happens once every seven years. So that the acceptable year of the Lord. And then what he says, he closes it. And he doesn't say, you know, this scripture will be fulfilled many, many days from now at my coming when uh, I come back in the clouds. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Very interesting. So he's talking, he's presenting himself as the prophesied anointed one that's going to proclaim the good news, that's going to bring we bring this kingdom. Now, their expectations of what the kingdom of God would be like uh, certainly are, their expectations were based in what they were reading in the prophets, but they did not understand what Christ came to do and the scope and magnitude of his kingdom. Um, so the next thing I want to look at here, so let's go over to, to the book of Daniel. And this is going to be very, very key in everything we talk about in the future. And something I'd really like you, if you, if you are a student of the word, and I imagine you are since you're, you're listening to a podcast like this, if you love Jesus, you love the gospel, you're wanting to understand him more. This has been something so uh, encouraging and enriching in my life recently. I've just been digging on this thing. I've just been just soaking it up. Um, it's this prophecy of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to get into reading this. The, th the reason I want to really focus in on this is it has to do with the king and the kingdom. And what Christ continually presents about himself, he is continually referring to himself over and over and over again. The way that he refers himself to himself more often than any other way is he calls himself the son of man. And when we're reading that, we should be going back and we should be looking at this passage in Daniel where the prophecy about the son of man and what he's going to come to do. So let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to, we're going to start in verse uh, 9. So what's happened in Daniel 7, um, you could go ahead and read through it for our purposes. We're going to move forward. But he sees these beasts, these empires that are going to come up out of the earth, Babylon, and then so on. And then he sees this great, terrible beast, and he's seeing all these horrible things. Um, and then in the middle of his vision, Daniel's in Babylon, and he's having this vision. And it says... I watched until thrones were put in place. This is verse 9. And the Ancient of Days was seated, and his garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And I watched then... Because of the sounds of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, and I watched until the beast was slain. That's the beast he was seeing earlier. We didn't read. And its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. 
As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Okay, so verse 13, next verse it says, And I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed. Okay, so very important here. It's important to notice one thing. So we could we can certainly read this prophecy as yet to be fulfilled. We can certainly read it as when the Son of Man returns and the beast is slain, that um, the things of Revelation will happen and that all the kingdoms of the earth will, will serve him and um, I think that's an appropriate way that we could apply that. But I want to actually drill into what the text is referring to here. Notice this. I'm going to read that again. And in verse 13, he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man was coming in the clouds of heaven. So when we read that, we think about the Son of Man coming uh, to earth in the clouds. But in this passage, look at where he's going. Coming in the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. So that's so interesting. You know, he ascends to heaven in the clouds, and the angels, after the apostles, are staring, gazing at him. It's the book of Acts. They say, you know, what are you looking up into heaven for? The Son of Man will return in the same manner that he came. You know, that Jesus of Nazareth is going to come right back in the same way that he came. So we know that he's coming in the clouds to earth. But it's important to look what happens at the ascension. He goes in the clouds. He ascended in a cloud to heaven. And in this passage in Daniel, the Son of Man is coming in the clouds to the Ancient of Days, to God the Father. He's coming to, uh, he's coming to God before God's throne, and God is giving him a kingdom, an authority, and dominion that all tribes, tongues, and peoples will serve him. And his kingdom is the one that will not pass away. And this is when we can then look at the ascension, seeing how the ascension of Christ connects to this kingdom reality connects to the day of trumpets and what we have. And we can say, hallelujah, hallelujah, because the son of David is sitting at the right hand of the father. The son of man is enthroned right now, currently, and a, a kingdom has been delivered to him. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Every time we're reading, when you, when you go back and you read, next time you get a chance, when you're going through uh, the gospels, on your next go around through the gospels, um, notice how he talks about the Son of Man. Notice what he's saying. He's he's trying to he's trying to get us to think about the scope of his kingdom. You know, the Jews were expecting a Davidic monarch that could um, rule Israel and that Israel would be lifted up above Rome and throw off the oppression that the Romans were putting on them. But Christ came and he said, "I come to do so much more than that." That's even, he even challenges their idea. Now, we, of course, we know the scriptures tell us, Romans tells us, the prophets told us that he's the son of David. Um, but in the end of the Synoptic Gospels, he's challenging them. And he says, 
He says, how do, how is it that they say that, that the Christ is David's son? Like the way that you're thinking about that, let's, let's look at that because if you're thinking about him simply as David's son, how is it that in the Psalms, that the psalmist says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, or Yahweh said to my master, look, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. If David is calling him master, how could he be his son? And so he's trying to, he's always trying to draw their attention. Now, when we look at the son of man, try to draw their attention to the scope and the breadth and how um, everything that they thought they understood about the prophets, everything they, they were expecting the Messiah to do, what the prophets had said, that Christ is coming to totally break that mold to be something uh, not contrary to what the prophets said, but that he was going to fulfill it on such a deeper, wider, broader, meatier level, and to deliver to us a kingdom that's not of this world, not just a Davidic monarchy alone, not just ruling in Jerusalem to beat the Romans, but the Son of Man is going to go, he's going to suffer, he's going to pay the penalty, he's going to be buried, he's going to break the bonds of death because his righteousness um, was so overwhelming, death was unable to hold him because sin could not, was not on him. Sin, he committed no sins. He paid for the sins of all of us. And he's going to be able to resurrect the whole world that, that the father is actually going to give him the power to raise the dead because he's the son of man that my father judges no man, but he's delivered all judgment under the sun because he is the son of man. Notice how many times he's going to be talking about himself being the son of man. When he's doing that, he is trying to draw our attention and in the mind of some of those Jews, and that's part of why with Caiaphas, he says, you know, they, they're, they're right before they crucify him, they're questioning him and they're, they're badgering him. And they say, you know, tell us truthfully, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And he says, it is as you say, and hereafter you shall see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power coming in the clouds, Right. Stephen sees him when he dies. He says, I saw the Lord at the right hand. So the throne of God, we need to understand this. Yes, very important. We need to understand that there is a kingdom that's coming. That's part of our hope, that there's going to be a payday someday that God is going to make everything right. He's going to split the sky. Every eye shall see him. Um, he's going to return and reign in righteousness. Uh, when that's fully manifest, but we cannot do that at the expense of seeing just what we have now, just what we have in Christ now. He says, be cheerful, little flock, for it is my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says that the kingdom of heaven does not come by observation. And they say, see, it's here, or see, it's there, but the kingdom of God is within you, that, that what he's delivered to us is that, that he himself abides in us and this, his kingdom is within us, that he's currently making us ambassadors. When he went before the Ancient of Days, a kingdom was delivered to him, all authority and all power and all, all might, the anointed king of the kingdom that will never pass away and all tribes and tongues and nations. So therefore go, that's what he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go into all the world, baptizing them, teaching them everything I commanded you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. So when we, when we look at this Son of Man passage, uh, we're going to see many more things like this. We need, we, need to, we need to focus on what has been accomplished in Christ. 
um, as we look forward to his coming kingdom. But knowing that, you know, that uh, people have said, you know, there's this, a both and, there's a, the now but not yet. We have the now kingdom but not yet. And so from time to time throughout the history of the Christian story, we, each generation, each different group of people might have, uh, want to emphasize one of those points at the expense of the other, you know. I think that in the last generation uh, that we've been in, as the world has become very strange, and it seems as though we see signs of the times everywhere, and there's been a bit of a apocalyptic tone to the world, um, and especially in the body of Christ, we've been hastening to see his coming. Um, and then that's gotten us off into weird things like trying to set dates and large complicated systems of eschatological timelines where, where we're looking and watching and this, if this happens, then the rapture will happen then. Or if these global powers do this, then we know the tribulation started. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes we just have to step back and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I want to be watchful. I don't know. But I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be able to look up because re my redemption draws nigh. And, and the only way I can really do that, the only way I can really live for Christ so that, so that I'll be a virgin full of oil when he comes, is to look at what he's given me. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's accomplished for me. To stand and to abide in the kingdom that has been delivered to us, the, the kingdom that we're a part of, the signs, wonders, miracles, uh, the same anointing. We have an anointing from the Holy One that teaches us all things. And, and as we're one with Him, as we're one spirit with Him, He's anointed us to preach the gospel. He's anointed us to open the eyes of the blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, to, to stand in Him, to be to be ferocious, to be bold, to be compassionate, and to show a kingdom that's not of this world, a kingdom that's not like the Gentile Lord's ruling over. It's a kingdom that whose king came to die for us and washes our feet, who's who's so much stronger than the beasts. You know, the son of the son of man, we can also think about him as the son of Adam. He's the he's the son that was promised to Eve, the, the seed of the woman. This is the great the great messianic message that he's the son of Adam. And there he stands in Daniel 7. We're seeing that there's all these beastly kingdoms that represent the empires of this world. And just like in the garden, um, Adam was given dominion over all the beasts. And he was supposed to rule and reign. And then we have this narrative where we have the, these, these wicked nations, these wicked empires ruling over all the people. And the Son of Man is coming to destroy those kingdoms, to destroy the beast, to destroy those systems of power and corruption, um, to show what real authority is, what real power is, um, a kingdom that's incorruptible. And so if we have something to shout about today, uh, if we have something to be in remembrance of before the Lord today, it's that hallelujah, glory and honor and blessings have been given to the lamb who's overcome and he sits on the throne. He's seated in the midst of the throne, the lamb that was slain, that he's overcome, that he can open up the scrolls. He is gathering a people from every tribe, tongue, nation. 
that his kingdom is the one that will not pass away. That since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone's pressing in. And, and this, this roller coaster ride of the body of Christ has not stopped. It's not went out. He's not left us orphans. And in our day, we're seeing such a huge harvest. We're seeing, we're beginning to taste um, such a, such a beautiful, the flavors and the aromas of the age to come bursting at the seams on the mission field. Um, and, and we're part of that. You know, we're part of that. The king is here. The king has come. The king is seated on his throne. And uh, we're living in many ways. Of course, we're anticipating the Lord's return. But we have to get it in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, in our bones, that we are living in the Messianic era. Since the days of the Messiah, this is the Messianic age. And so that's a wonderful thing to shout about, praise God about. This is a, a trumpet of God. God has given a trumpet to the sons of men to praise him, to shout for joy. He has given us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Christ Jesus, he is our Yom Teruah. He is our great shout of joy. That's all that we have for today. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to head on over to Instagram and connect with me there. My handle is in the proper time. Next up is going to be the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. See you then.